You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to Radio's finest program of positive book talk, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We know that you are all stars out there. My name is Cynthia Bryan. I'm so happy to be your personal growth coach right here with you on the airwaves, bringing you the authors every single week. We really are a show about following your dreams, champagne for the spirit, brought to you by Be The Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, produced by Star Style. Today's show has a great, fascinating lineup. First is going to be Jane Lowry Christian with her book, By Chance Sissy's Adventure, Growing Up in North Missouri. People of all ages are going to just love this story. It has about struggles and decisions and lessons that we learn and that only children can do. They're very applicable to what we're doing today, too, in this economy. In segment two, we have Dan Avensick. He is going to share the hidden dangers for children online with his book, Internet Security for Parents. And in segment three, The Citizen Attorney by Patricia Townsend. She's going to assist us with helping with legal litigation that we can do on our own, especially when we don't want to hire an attorney. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our show. Well, Jane Lowry Christian has penned a perfect book for the times we are in now, in my opinion. As she recalls growing up in North Missouri during the Depression and the drought of the 1930s, Her book is called Budgie and Sissy's Adventure, Growing Up in North Missouri. Welcome, Jane, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you very much. Well, you say, Jane, at the beginning of your book that you would have never written this book had family members still been living. And when after I read the book, I thought, why is this? This is such a sweet, uplifting book that honored your family, that showed the terrific relationships and it also boasted good old-fashioned values that we really could learn something from today. So wh- why didn't you want your family to, to read it? Well, actually, uh, I wouldn't have minded, but um, I was very uh, shy as a child. And uh, I don't know, I just uh, I don't want to show my inner self, I guess. <laughs> well, you are now the author of, of uh, seven books, or is this the eight, uh, this was the first of seven? Yes, that's right. So let's talk about, is it Budgie or Bougie? It's Budgie. That was Budgie. my brother's nickname. Yes, right. And, you, that's, and Sissy was your nickname. Yes, that's right. Well, the photos, you have lots and lots of photos in the book, and when I look at them, it just brings me back to a time when life was much simpler People really cared about one another. Communities were tighter. And it seems that you and your brother found lots of fun things to do just in the ordinary, everyday items that, that children, you know, have outside, which today everybody's on the Internet and 
video games, etc. How is it for you when you look back at your life? Well, I look back and think what a difference the children did when I was a child and what they do now. You don't see children out in the yards anymore. You know, they're inside doing their stuff that they do. But we was outside all the time, made our own toys, and we just entertained ourselves. Exactly, and it, that gave you tools for for adulthood, didn't it? It taught you how to be entrepreneurial or to take care of yourself and to be a survivor. That's right, yes, that is co- completely correct. Well, I, I wanted to ask you what was truly the reason you sat down to write the book, because you had indicated that you had been ill as well, and I'm so glad you did write the book, because... People today, especially the younger generation, they don't get this inside look at what it was like to live during the Depression. And you had very little, I mean, not many clothes, you know, no no toys, as you said, you made your own toys, but yet you felt abundant because you had family around you. Oh, yes. I uh, decided I could write when I I wrote this, uh, The Apple Tree for My Mother, because she was always after us kids when we'd eat green apples, she'd give us castor oil. Oh, yes, talk about that, because you write about this in your book, because she didn't want you eating those green apples. She was convinced they were going to make you sick. That's right, but they never did, but she still would give us castor oils if she caught us, you know. Did <laughs> and you put after castor I wrote oil that, and other things, too? Because yes. I also grew up on a farm, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't in... Uh, the 1930s, my, actually, my grandparents were in the 1930s, but my grandmother always would say put castor oil if you, you know, if you had warts or if mm-hmm. you had any kind of cut, she'd always want to put castor oil on. Oh, yes. It, was that a, a real common thing then? Oh, yes. Uh, that, that's what you got when you, uh, was, did something, you, you know, you might get sick, you'd take castor oil. Now, what about your animals? I love your story about Patsy Pig and then your fear that Patsy was going to end up as bacon. Yes, that was very upsetting. I remember that very well. But it didn't happen. No, uh, she grew up to be a big white sow, the kind that they used to grow. She had her own little nest of pigs that we, you know, that always amazed us. And uh, she... She made it through life in Dad's hog lot later. <laughs> you know, isn't it? It's, it's so interesting because people always look at pigs as being, you know, dirty animals or mean, but they're, especially when you have them as individual pigs, they are very, very sweet and they're clean, aren't they? Oh, yes. Yeah, they'd be clean if uh, they had a clean place to be in, you exactly. know. Exactly. It's only because if somebody doesn't, you know, clean out their, the pig side or, you know, the barn or whatever they are in, that's what makes them dirty. But otherwise, they really, they make their own nests. I have a pot belly pig. Oh, you did. Oh, I, 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 well, I still do. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I adopt animals, uh, Jane, so this is why I loved, I loved reading your book. It brought me right back to the farm. We're talking about Budgie and Sissy's Adventure Growing Up in North Missouri. It, it's by Jane Lowry Christian. Also, transportation was much more difficult in those days. Oh, Talk yes. to us about you had to either take your horses or if you could get in a car, I mean, but it was pretty rare. Oh, yes, we didn't have a car till I was, um, you know, um, I don't know how old I was, but I remember riding in the wagon with the folks, you know. we You didn't go very far then in those days. 
No, I mean, you, you probably couldn't because if you didn't have the transportation. That's right. And you, had, you walked to school. This was really what I think kids today have no clue. You walked to school in the snow. Oh, yes. And yes. it was like a mile and a half? Yes, it was. It was about a mile and a half. Well, and you know how people joke, oh, yes, I walked a mile in the snow. But the truth is, you did. Yes, and that was not the only thing. We didn't have uh, insulated boots or warm clothing like we do now. And I remember going in the schoolhouse, froze to death, and we'd all set up against the heating stove, you know, trying to get warm. And uh, it was a it was hard time, but we didn't realize it. We just did what we had to do. Well, don't you think as children you don't really realize it? Your parents were aware of it. Oh, yes. But, you know, but they were trying to do the best they could to make do for, for the children. Oh, yes. I remember Mom uh, bringing our overshoes uh, when it would rain, you know, and we had her shoes. She didn't want us to walk in the mud with our shoes, so she'd walk up with our overshoes. And I don't think I put that in the book. I might have, but... Well, you did. You talked about overshoes in the book that yeah. your first day of school, uh, that you did not want to wear overshoes when it was raining because, you, you know, you wanted to look nice when you went to school. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> uh, the pictures are absolutely priceless that are in here. There are many, many pictures that are from your family, from growing up, of your of friends, of the animals, of of you, the time that you did made your peaches, mm-hmm. and you, you have the, let's see, is this a tractor that's in here? It's like old wheels. Oh, yeah, that's my dad. It's Clifford it Baker. It looks like he might be having a tractor with a trailer. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he was proud of his tractors. Yeah, he was proud of his tractor. <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm looking at a family picture of Elmer and Thora Betts' family. Mm-hmm. And yes. no one is smiling. Well, Why is it when we look at pictures <laughs> from these days, no one is smiling? Did the photographers say, don't smile? I don't know, but they all look alike, didn't they? <laughs> they all look alike. <clears throat> yeah, they all look alike, but nobody has a smile on their faces. Mm-hmm. I don't, that, that, must not been, that must have been the uh, norm then, you know. I was just wondering. You know, I'm wondering because most of the pictures, when you look at people in any pictures from those days, mm-hmm. there's really not too many smiles and let's see i'm trying to see you have kind of a you have a couple of smirks on your face yeah when (laughs) when you're in there so tell us you have besides uh, budgie and sissy's adventure growing up in north missouri you also have written other um cartoon styled books for children yes i have six a series of six and it's about this stuff that uh he was uh, used to be a yard duck, and he he uh, could uh, quack because he had a sensor, but he lost that. So that's how I come up with Quackless Duck, and I still have this duck. And uh, he just uh, kind of fit in with it, and I just went with that. And now today, you it sounds like that you are a fairly a newlywed. You've been married what a, a couple of years now, oh, or about two and a half years. Was two and a half years. That's very still pretty wonderful. newlywed. Love this picture of you guys on the back. Yes. Do you still live uh, in on, on a farm area? No. Well, we live in a rural area. We live in a, a town about a thousand people. Right. So but, it's still rural, but you don't have any animals or any of that today. Oh no, my. Uh, no, I still have my farm, so I go out there and look at my renter's cows, I guess you'd say. 
Now, when you talk, um, you know, about being shy as a child, did you find that writing this book, Budgie and Sissy's Adventure, as well as writing your six Quackless Duck books, mm-hmm. did it bring out a little bit, make you a little more extrovert, or did it help you at least get out all the thoughts that you had inside? Well, you know, um, I grew up as an only girl, and I felt very left out sometimes, and you know that got rid of all that feeling. It was really good therapy for me. That's, so I, that was exactly what I was wondering, because it seems like you had no problem expressing yourself when you were writing, so I bet you it gave you a lot of confidence to start to start doing this. Yes, it, I didn't plan anything when I wrote. I just sat down and started writing, and it just come on the page. You isn't know? that the way to go? Yeah. I so think. would you have other books in mind now? Oh, yes, I have one uh, kind of a uh, true uh, fiction based on truth of my uh, family uh, coming from Norway. And uh, my great-great-granddad, he came from Norway in 1860, and his uh, family came later, about two years later, and I'm now researching uh, how how they would do on the ship. You know, his wife had to work on the ship and with her two little boys, and uh, but I'm researching that now. Oh, that sounds like it's going to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be in about four parts. It'll be different family members. One was from Holland and England, and, you know, and then I wanted to come up to my folks, you know. I wanted to bring it up to my folks. And you are the only living member at the moment of your family? Uh, well, I've got cousins, of course, you know. Yes, but I meant you, yes. uh, uh, right. but you're, obviously your parents are gone and yes. Budgie is gone. And yes. Mm-hmm. So, and the basis so what that, do your cousins think of the books? Well, uh, I've, talk, well I've talked to a couple of them that really like them. But you know what I regret? I regret not feeling like I had more time, and, and I would have asked them for pictures of their family because I only had used the pictures that my mother had in her album. And uh, she didn't have all of her uh, sisters and brothers' families' pictures. And I regret that very much. Well, you know what? That just means you can do another edition. <laughs> well, it might. <laughs> yes, that's what you can do. You can do, you know, part two. Because mm-hmm. this book ends, and then that was just, it was very sad that Goldie, your yes, friend yes, Goldie, yes. got lost in the snow during the blizzard. Yes. So maybe you would take it up at where the blizzard starts and you go from there. Yeah, well, that's an idea. Yes. Well, let's tell people how they can get your book, Jane. Again, the name of the book is Budgie and Sissy's Adventure, Growing Up in North Missouri. The author is Jane Lowry Christian, and it's just a very, very sweet book about her memories that are about growing up during the Depression, and even though there were hardships, you never really realized it. You had a lot of fun, even through the grasshopper infestation and the terrible drought, and, you know, you just lived a really good natural life. Yeah, that's right. I remember uh, thinking uh, it was very good to go of a night to have popcorn with the folks and my brothers after, um, you know, after work was done, and uh, we'd sat and listened to our radio and, and I think that's my favorite time of all the times that I remember. Well, and it seemed like you were you looked forward to hot cocoa and then these community sledding events. I mean, it was an innocent time. It, it's a wonderful time. People should read the book, and, and they'll enjoy a look back to the 1930s. Well, to get the book, 
you can get it at, uh, how do you pronounce it? Ex, Ex Libris Corporation. Ex Libris. Ex Libra.com. It's X L I B R I S dot com forward slash bookstore. And then do a search and type in the author's name, Jane Lowry Christian. Yes. Again, the book is Budgie and Sissy's Adventure. Thank you, Jane, for being here on uh, Be the Star I'd You like Are. To, I'd like to give their telephone number. Oh, that would be even better. 1-888-795-4274-7876. Give it one more time. One zero. Excuse me. One eight 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 dash seven nine five four two seven four extension seven eight seven six. All right. It's one eight 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 seven nine five four two seven four extension seven eight seven six. Again, That's the right. name of the book. Budgie and Sissy's Adventure. Jane, thank you for being a guest. I hope that you'll come on the show with your quackless duck. I think oh, that well, would be fun. Sure. That'd be fun. That would be real good. I'd like to do that. All right. Well, we'll look into it. Thanks for being okay. a guest on the show. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. When we come back, we're going to be talking about safety on the Internet with professional web developer Dan Ivansick. I'm Cynthia Bryan. I am happy you tuned in. Stay with me. Listen. Listen. Are you ready? The world is talking. Are you ready? World Talk Radio. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. 
That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thanks for staying around. We've got a great segment coming up, and we're going to be talking about safety on the Internet. Who would have known that the Internet would become such a huge part of our daily lives? For all its benefits, danger still lurks there within cyberspace, and so many of us are not aware of it. Dan Ivensick is a web developer. He's the founder of InternetSecurityForParents.com, and that's a website that's devoted to educating parents about the hidden online dangers. He's written his first book called Internet Security for Parents, Discover the Hidden Dangers that You and Your Children Face Online. Dan is here with us. Welcome, Dan, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hi, thanks. Well, thanks for writing this book. Uh, kids really, they go online, they're very innocent, they post information, not realizing that there are predators out there that could be stalking them. So let's talk about some of the dangers that we need to know about for our kids, but also the ramifications for parents, because you talk about lawsuits in here too, especially things for cyberbullying. Right. Um, you know, it, it typically, you know, uh, kids generally post too much information, too much personal information um, that a lot of times online predators can, can use to either locate or stalk, uh, you know, a young child. Um, and that's part of the problem because kids think that they're just going, you know, they're going to post this information to share it with all their friends. But, uh, you know, in many cases they share it with other people than just their friends. Well, the reality is, and I get so much of this information from your book, Internet Security for Parents, by Dan Ivansick, and that is that not only are there friends on there, but that's really where, par- where predators a great place to, to hang out. I mean, if you wanted to abduct a child or you were some kind of, uh, you know, child molester, what better place to be than on MySpace and Facebook and all these places that you know the kids are going to be, you know, exposing themselves. Yeah, and it's so easy to to find them. You know, you can literally go through within seconds and, you know, find someone locally that's, you know, posted a little bit too much information, and that's really all it takes. Well, let's tell us, describe, do you think, what is too much information? I know that, you know, a lot of people will put their school down or their birthdays down, or and, of course, you never want to put your address um, because or social security number, all this identity theft, there's lots more information that they can find out where you live or, or at least the area you're in. Right, and uh, these social networking websites actually kind of, you know, in- encourage you to, um, they c- encourage kids to actually list this information. Um, but a lot of times it can be dangerous. Um, you know, like you, you never want to post your full name, like first and last name. Uh, that kind of goes against the whole Facebook thing. Um, but to a younger kid, that could be dangerous. Um, Another one is uh, av- to avoid, you know, you want to avoid identifying what school you attend because that is another, you know, another way that a predator can use, uh, you know, to, to find what school you go to. Um, if you list what school sports you, you play, that's all public knowledge. They can then attend those events and, you know, pick you out of the crowd. Um, yes, because you've posted pictures on there. Right, you've posted pictures. They know what you look like. They know, you know, the school you attend. Then they know what games you're going to be playing. A lot of times, the game schedules are all public knowledge, and they can wait until you know 
after the game and you're, let's say, walking by yourself or something. Um, another one would be uh, a lot of kids post. Uh, this would be for little older teens, like maybe 16 and up. They post where they work. Um, I spoke with an FBI special agent who uh, is part of the Cyber Crimes Task Force, and she actually was um, talking about a case where a young girl, um, she was probably 16 or 17, had posted her uh, place of work on her, uh, I believe it was her MySpace page, and uh, an, an online predator actually, you know, stalked her, waited until late at night when she was, uh, I think she was taking out the garbage or walking out to her car, and actually, uh, you know, assaulted her in the parking lot. Oh, see, it's so frightening because we don't think of those things, and you think that work would be safe, but but it isn't safe. You know, I was surprised just going to some social networking sites and after reading your book, Internet Security for Parents, and uh, signing up to see what they asked, and I, I just can't get over that they always want to know your birth date. I mean, that seems, that's kind of leading me into the identity theft, which is such a big crime today, and so prevalent because of the internet, right? And um, I think legally they actually have to ask you that. And that's because you can't be under fourteen for most of this. But people, you know, what you're saying in the book is most everybody's lying anyway. Right. Um, you know, and some of it's a lot of it's blatantly obvious because you can go on these you know social networking sites and you see you look through some of these profiles and you'll see um, maybe a younger looking girl and it'll say she's like ninety nine years old and you know that's obviously a dead giveaway. Um, so a lot of it's, you know, it just goes on the honor system, and, you know, it's it's too much for the social networking websites to enforce. So that's that's where, you know, the parents... Well, you know, one of the things you were saying in your book is that they have a log, um, a logarithms that try to figure out how old you are, and they pinpoint, you know, your your profile to eliminate you, but they don't have enough people that can effectively monitor this, not with... 250,000 new members joining, like, MySpace every day. How could they have a staff of people that are monitoring who's going online? Right. It would just be un- impossible, and, you know, it's there would be way too many people that would need to be involved, and that's part of the reason why I wrote the book is I think parents need to get involved. Um, now, let's go to uh, – let's talk about cyberbullying, which has really become a terrible – terrible crime these days because it used to be that if you, you know, the big bad bully on the campus, it stayed on the campus or if you saw him in town, but now kids are posting nude pictures online, they're, you know, they're altering things, they're doing terrible things to embarrass kids and we're actually reading about suicides in the, in, uh, the newspapers from kids that are so humiliated. What can be done about that and how can parents keep a tab on their kids? Uh, well, first thing, if your if your child has become a victim of cyberbullying, um, you need to contact the uh, the website uh, um, where you know the actual occurrence is happening. Like, let's say it's MySpace or Facebook or whatever it be. Um, there's usually a link down at the bottom somewhere where you can contact uh, someone and uh, let them know. They'll typically remove it uh, as soon as possible. Um, you know, if if you know who's doing it, uh, a lot of times it's someone that you go to school with, um, you can contact school officials. Um, If there's any kind of threat where you feel your life uh, is physically threatened at all, you can contact uh, your local law enforcement, and um, then it becomes a a legal issue because 
um, and the the actual you know per, per person that's you know responsible for doing the cyberbullying can actually get in legal trouble. And isn't it hasn't it been become a, a crime now, cyberbullying? Um, it depends. I know a lot of it d- depends on the state. I know a lot of them are trying to uh, pass you know legisl- legislation to go through you know to try to, to try to prevent some of this and crack down on it. Um, I'm not sure which ones are, you know. So some states have taken action. Uh, we're in California, and I, I believe that it is now a crime. I mean, we're always reading about this, you know, if this happens, it's to be reported to the FBI, and it becomes a crime. And this is where parents, too, with their inner, with the kids' Internet activities, the parents can get into lawsuits. Right. Um, you know, and like you said, a lot, of, a lot of these states, I think they're going to be jumping on board um, if there is any bodily threat, um, it's definitely a crime. Um, but other than that, you know, it's uh, it all, it all depends on you know what's what's said and you know what's what's happening. But um, yeah, if if the parents aren't you know monitoring monitoring what their kids are doing online, um, they're the ones that are responsible for you know what happens on their on their internet account. So well, you create software. You have created software that can protect your child as well as yourself from many of the online dangers, and people can purchase this software at internetsecurityforparents.com forward slash software. Tell us about that software that you have designed. Um, basically what it allows you to do, you can install it discreetly on your computer or your kid's computer without them knowing. It will run in the background. Um, every time they start up the computer, it will just automatically start. It's, it's not something you'll see start up or anything. And uh, essentially, you can record everything your kids do online. You can record, you know, what websites they go to, what passwords they type in at these websites. Um, you can record their emails. You know, you can essentially record everything that that they do. Um, Is this something that employers would use too to monitor what their employees are doing? Um, yeah, and uh, employers can use it. Uh, spouses, you know, uh, can use it to find out if their husband or wife are, is cheating. A lot of times that, you know, all stems from the Internet nowadays. Um, so, yeah, there's more than one use. So, I mean, is, is that what you're finding your clients are using it? I mean, it's for the kids, but basically it's, it's some kind of a protection to find out who's using your computer and what they're doing. Right. Now, could it also be installed, I mean, could it be installed, taken by bandits and put on somebody's computer to, you know, that, to get to, to find out all the passwords? I guess so. Oh, essentially, yeah. I mean, if it got in the wrong hands, um, you know, it, it could be uh, dangerous. But that's part of the whole. That's another thing I cover in in my book is computer setup. Yes, let's talk about that. I'm on that page now. Computer setup and and why most parents get it wrong. You know, you were writing here about how you have an open internet connection with Wi-Fi, and other people can just drive by and use your computer and start charging things to you. And explain that because I really didn't understand that. Well, so many people they take their computer or their uh, they get wireless internet uh, wireless internet router and they take it out of the box and plug it in and just start using it and thinking that everything's fine, but but in, in really uh, in reality it's not. Um, you, anybody with a wireless um, you know broadband card or a wireless laptop can um, you know drive right out in front of your house or sometimes you know um, several houses away. It depends on you know your your uh, broadcasting signal, and they can actually sign on to your internet if it's not secured. Um, they could be trading child porn or, or anything, and literally you could have the FBI come and kick down your door if that's happening. 
Um, you know, a lot of times it would all be traced through your Internet account. Um, they could be, you know, downloading music illegally. Uh, you'd be responsible for that. Um, so there's a lot of dangers there. So it, I, I didn't understand this before. So it really will kick back to the person who owns the the wireless account or who owns the internet account. Yeah, it's it's all going to come through your account because they're they're logged into your internet, you know, um, um, account, and they're they're literally using your internet plan and doing whatever they want on it. Um, now, if if you did come under scrutiny for something, you know, they're going to confiscate your computers and go through everything, and you know, you you might get let off the hook, but. Um, you know, I think why take the risk if if you don't have to. So in the book, again, we're talking about the book, Internet Security for Parents. The author is Dan Ivansick. We're talking about setting up your computer and making it safe, and he has a whole chapter about how to do that. Now, you're basically a um, a Windows, a PC guy, but you also have information for Mac users. Um, there a little bit. Some of the information is kind of cross-compatible. It depends on, uh, you know, a lot of it's talking about the Internet. Um, as far as your computer system goes, most of what I talk about in the book is for PCs. Um, uh, you know, I don't typically use Macs too much. Um, but there is uh, a couple resource links in the back of my book for people who use Macs. Um, you know, you can go right on their site and a lot of times find uh, some of the stuff that I'm referring to. I didn't. I also you touched on something else in your book: unrestricted internet use with the Wi-Fi video game systems, and how they give kids, you know, just a free play to get into the internet. How is that happening? Um, well, these video game systems nowadays—they're so advanced. They're—they're they're literally a, uh, a small computer, and uh, they're all. Um, a lot of these games, uh, you know, require you to be on the internet to be, you know, to. To uh, you know, play the full capabilities of the game. You know, playing with other people all over the world. Um, and actually, there's been a lot of uh, recent um, online predator attempts and, and actual um, successful ones at that, um, where online predators are hanging out in these in these game rooms and have actually you know been targeting you know young kids. Well, and it seems that it's almost a a an organ you know like organized crime now on how these predators have been because it used to be that you'd be getting all these spam stuff from Nigeria and send us money and you know blah blah but now i i mean i recently had a had one of those for a dog you know that do you want an adopt you need to adopt a dog so i think that there's more and more schemes and scams on the internet that we really have to help ourselves and our children be aware of Right, um, you know that's that's a parents. Parents need to be educated. And need to get involved, and you know they need to educate their their kids as well, and get them you know involved. And you know, in the in the book Internet Security for Parents, Dan has also has uh, several statistics, and one is there are 420 million pornographic pages online. Probably by now, since you printed the book, it's even grown. But that just you know that just amazes me that that is like that. And at the back of the book, he has many different resources. He has the top social networking websites that you could check out and figure out how to how to protect your kids, as well as uh, information on how to uh, com- set up your computer by contacting Microsoft or contacting Apple and how to get on YouTube, etc. But again, you'd want to go to his website 
so that you could get the Internet protection and the software as well as the book, and that's InternetSecurityForParents.com. Is that correct, yes. Dan? Yep. Yes, yes. So what, do you have one last piece of advice? Um, you know, there's, there's many dangers out there. Um, we didn't, you know, we can't talk about all of them here. There's not enough time, but, um, basically, you know, parents need to just get involved. Don't be afraid. Um, read. You know, I'm sure you found the books pretty, uh, pretty quick read and easy to understand. Um, you know, so get involved, educate yourself, and, um, you know, um, start monitoring what your kids are doing online. And I want to piggyback on that just that statement. It's a very easy read. So any parent or guardian or school teacher out there who's like, oh, I don't want to read an Internet book, he has made it in very simple, easy language, uh, and it's a short little book with lots of references. And another thing is when you buy the book, you'll be able to get uh, free updates as long as it's cost-effective for Dan to do it for you. Again, his website, InternetSecurityForParents.com. You know, really helpful book, Dan. Thank you for writing it, and thanks for being a guest on here. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. You are most welcome. That was uh, Dan Ivansick, his book, Internet Security for Parents. When I come back, we are going to go to the law. We're going to find out how we can be our own best advocate with Patricia Townsend and her book, The Citizen Attorney. Don't go away. We need to be informed. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Back in a bit. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. 
That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star. Well, thank you for staying with us. We are going to get very informed today. You have probably all experienced some kind of illegal, I don't know, bugaboo in your life where you needed an attorney or you needed some advice or to complete a legal document, but you didn't have the funds to hire a lawyer. Well, help is here with us today. Patricia Townsend's book, The Citizen Attorney, A Complete Manual for Self-Represented Litigants, on how to file and represent yourself in any state court civil litigation in the 50 states of the United States. Boy, this is going to be something that everybody's going to want on their bookshelf. Patricia is here. Welcome, Patricia, to Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Well, Patricia, we appreciate you coming on. <laughs> One of the things that fascinated me the most, I always start books, I read them backwards. I always start at the back and then I read forward and, and then I read the whole book. Okay. Is you are a an experienced civil litigant and you live in Texas. However, you are self-taught by reading the law. I found this most fascinating and fascinating about other people who have become attorneys or by reading the law they have, you know, act past the bar. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's, I guess when you say I'm an experienced civil litigant, it almost sounds derogatory, and I don't mean that offensively. But no, I, I think like it sounds a, positive. A career out of, I think of it going into that, court. Hey, you but, know how uh, to do this, girlfriend. <laughs> Things happen, you know, I mean, you know, and you have to defend yourself. So uh, I had to learn by necessity, and I'm sure many of your viewers can relate. Uh, you know, you're, you're served with a lawsuit, and you have to make a decision. You either hire an attorney, you represent yourself, or you put it on a shelf in a room and forget about it and just hope it goes away, which, which is we know it doesn't happen. I mean, you're going to have a... You know, if you if you if you ignore it, a default judgment's going to be entered against you, no doubt, because you didn't make an appearance in the action. So this happened to me, and I decided that, uh, well, you know, first thing I'm gonna I'm gonna try to seek an attorney. Well, in the matter that uh, I was involved in, which was a contract for the sale and purchase of real property, I approached uh, law firms, several of them. And believe it or not, not one of them wanted less than $30,000 retainer. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Well, who has that kind of money to spend on a lawsuit? Well, exactly. So I decided, okay, you know, it's going to be me or the highway, and uh, I'm going to have to defend myself. I quickly, I quickly learned. I mean, and I love the law. I love the law, Cynthia. I, I grab it. I love it. I understand it. I comprehend it. And did I you truly, always do, truly understand that. Just to that's interrupt for a second, did you always enjoy learning about the law? Yes. You always have. Okay. Yeah. It's something. So it came. Did it come easily to you when you started studying it? Because there's a lot to learn here. Uh, actually, you know, and I and I and I'm not trying to be arrogant at all, but yes, it did. Um, only because of my fascination. Um, I think the, the law is really when you bring it down. To layman's terms, it is simplistic. It's not as complicated as people understand. The complication arises 
because individuals don't understand that there are rules of procedure that must be followed. And the courts enacted rules of procedure for many reasons. Number one, their docket is enormous. It's enormous. And when you ask for a jury trial, it costs the taxpayers money. They don't have the staff. They're understaffed. So you have all of these complexities coming into play here where the courts say, well, listen, you know, we are inundated with complaints. And I'm talking civil complaints. My book does not pertain to uh, criminal. But this is, uh, but you know, these are the biggest complaints that ordinary people like you and I are going to have. They're going to be civil complaints that we need to be able to defend ourselves against. That's right. And so they enacted what is, you know, it's statutory law. It's the rules of civil procedure in some states. It's the civil code in other states. Um, But they're all basically the same. And if you don't play by the rules, then they can kick you out. It's as simple as that. It is, is it fair? Not necessarily. Uh, and I say not necessarily because if you're going to be a litigant and you're going to walk into a court of law, you have to understand that you have to do so with some knowledge. You have to. You have to be professional. You have to be concise. And if you're the plaintiff, which is the individual who files an action against another, it can't be frivolous. It can't have no merit. It has to have, there has to be justification for you to walk in there and say, I have a right to what I'm asking for. And, you know, the courts try to be lenient to a certain extent, but I think that there's been a prejudice against pro se litigants. And the prejudice comes into play that if you're a pro se litigant, well, you don't know the law. And that's not fair. And, and uh, that isn't an fair because, you know, where does that come in that you can't, in this day and age, most people cannot hire an attorney. I mean, you, we just don't have the money to hire an attorney. Well, exactly, and it's your constitutional right. It's been our right for 200 years in this country. Well, and you give a few individuals, and before you talk more about the right and how you can do it, mm-hmm. you give um, numerous individuals who obtain their law degree by quote-unquote, reading the law, and they became not only well-known Americans, but very, very good attorneys. Patrick Henry, John Marshall, Daniel Webster, Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas, Clarence Darrow, Strom Thurmond. I had no idea that they just read the law. And it is still, in in some states, uh, that you can obtain a law degree by reading the law. I mean, in California, Vermont... Maine, Virginia, Washington, New York, Wyoming. Uh, And what upsets me is other states have abolished. So, like, you're in Texas, and although you have become very, very clear and very educated on the law, you're not allowed to take the bar exam in the state of Texas. Exactly, no. But you could come to California, or you could go to Vermont, or you could go to Maine or Wyoming yeah. or New York or Washington right. or Virginia, Exactly. and if you studied the laws of that state, you would be able to take it in those states? Yes, and, the re- and, and it's unfair. It's unfair because when you go to law school, what are you learning when it really comes down to it that, that would not qualify you to take a bar exam? If you can pass a bar exam, then you have the right to be an attorney. I would agree with you. 
I would that, agree with you. I would think it would be like that almost for anything. If exactly. you can take exactly. the equivalency test that everyone else is required to take in order to get their their degree or their PhD or whatever it is, if you can take it and pass it, that's right. Then you should be allowed. And it's you know it's it's political, and and the whole legal profession, unfortunately, is political. It, it, it and I mean it's it's a fact. It's political. Um, a judge sits on a bench, and you go into a court. There, there may be two attorneys standing there. It becomes political. It's, is it fair? No, it's not. I believe the federal courts are much more lenient to pro se litigants. Well, and you actually had to take your, your case to the uh, United States Supreme Court. You represented yourself. Yes, that's right. And, and, and what happened in my case is the action filed against me uh, the presiding judge lacked subject matter jurisdiction because the plaintiffs had what is deemed uh, no standing to bring the action. In other words, there was no contract pursuant to statutory authority, which in most 50 states is titled the statute of frauds, which is very important because the statute of fraud means that a contract for real property has all the prerequisites that are required. The price, the party to be charged therewith, who is the deeded owner, the descript- a description of the land that is definitive where you can identify it with certainty. It has a date. Uh, all the prerequisites. And the contract that was uh, alleged to be that I breached didn't contain any of it. In fact... When you go How do you find something law, like that then, Patricia? I mean, did you, did you have pages and pages of documentation to well, prove your case then before, before the, the uh, federal uh, Supreme Court? No, here's what happens, unfortunately, here's what happens in these type of cases. Your case begins in a general jurisdiction um, law, a uh, court rather, uh, where a judge presides that has general jurisdiction. Uh, those judges uh, also have judicial immunity unless they rule in the absence of jurisdiction. In my case, um, when I say that you know the defendants didn't have uh, the plaintiffs didn't have standing, when I say that, what I mean essentially is I didn't own the land at the time they claimed I breached agreement to sell them the land. I didn't own it. So you have to be the owner of that land. land. You couldn't have had a breach of contract then, exactly. could you? No. And I didn't have, uh, there was no contract. They suffered no injury. And the other prerequisite of a contract by law is consideration. There was no consideration. Because the contract that they brought into court did not contain the seller's name, didn't have a price, no consideration, no description of the land, absolutely nothing. This sounds like a frivolous case to me. It was. But the judge ruled against me. He forced See, specific where, performance of the this land. This is the kind of thing, uh, Patricia, that fries me, is even though it's the law and you go into a court of law, just because you're right doesn't mean you're going to prevail. No. And that, but, to me, is what's wrong about the system. But here's what people have to understand. You have to be determined. You have to seek justice. You have to say that it's my constitutional right and I'm going to. And you have to keep fighting and fighting if it's important to you, if it is going to affect your life in a detrimental way. 
don't give up. Keep fighting. And, and I feel that what's happened in this country, unfortunately, is, you know, there's a word that the courts have adopted. It's frivolous, meaning, oh, your case is frivolous. We're going to throw you out. Oh, your appeal is frivolous. Uh, out the door you go. It's not fair. Because what constitutes frivolous? Courts will use it. They will use it erroneously to dismiss your case. So, you you know, with that in mind, we're talking to Patricia Townsend. Her book is A Citizen Attorney. It's a complete manual for self-representation if you want to litigate against someone or protect yourself. And it has information about all 50 states and all different kinds of forms and motions and subpoenas and reasons and everything you could possibly think of. But the question is, is that if the courts are prejudiced against pro se litigants, do we have a chance when we go on our own? Yes, because it's not to say that all judges, and I, and I don't, I don't want to state that it's all courts. That's, that's so not it's, true. It's just you've got to be careful of judges. judges. So it's certain what judges. What you're saying then is if you get a judge that does have that predisposition, perhaps that can, can you file again? Can you, can you get, uh, well, I don't even best, know what the you know, The best way to handle that situation is, again, to go in there um, with knowledge, file your documents properly, again, have a, a case that is of merit, and if a judge, you know, I mean, every, everything is taken down in a court of law by a court reporter. Exactly. That helps you because you get the transcripts. The transcripts are verbatim what was said by you, the judge, the defendants, everybody, witnesses, what have you. And so it's very, very imperative that if it's necessary that you file an appeal, you get the transcripts of the action. Because that tells you, it, it tells also the appellate court what was said verbatim. Well, let's give out your website so people can find out more about this and they can get your book and get all this incredible information. And that's www.lawdocuments.net. Correct. And the name of the book, again, is A Citizen Attorney, and the author is Patricia Townsend. You know, we always, if we're watching television and you watch a court, you see an attorney saying, you know, I object, I object. (laughs) And I was, when I was reading your book, you were very clear about that you can make objections, but you want to be really um, intent on listening carefully to why you're making objections. Objections, and you would only make an objection when the evidence hurts your case. Exactly, and one of the most important is hearsay. Uh, and uh, that's when there's a witness on the stand and they're saying, Well, I talked to Joe, and Joe said, and that's Well, not I'm good sorry, enough. Joe's well, you're not here. It has to be absolute concrete exactly. evidence so that exactly. in cross examination, if you have a witness, that you, they're not going to be misled or it's not going to be conflicting information. Exactly, that's right. And you know, well, there Patricia, are, this is really fascinating. Now, are you in a, you're not an attorney now because you live in Texas, so you can't take the bar. Right. But you, do you counsel people on how to do it themselves? Um, I'm very careful about that. Yeah, I guess you have to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. again, it's Patricia Townsend. The book is The Citizen Attorney. Website, lawdocuments.net. Fascinating book. Really helpful. You want it on your bookshelf. 
It's going to happen one day. You're going to need this book. Patricia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate you having me. Oh, I really appreciated you being here. And you, good luck. Keep doing what you're doing. You oh, I will. You know I will. <laughs> yeah, I know you will. You're determined and you're going to help others. That's You've been right. listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you for listening every week. We'll bring you the greatest authors and the books to help you and to inspire you. Until we meet again next week, we want you to go into the world and be the star you are. Visit the website, be the star you are.org, CynthiaBryan.com. I'll be with you next week. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on World Talk Radio Studio A. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker, a dreamer, courage to give. Every special part of you You're an artist, a poet who will never give up So make all your dreams come true Let go of your fears You travel much too far Show the world your smile Be the star you are Show the whole wide world your smile Be the lucky star you are